Well, if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 9. I just would like to say by way of introduction uh, how much we've appreciated uh, the privilege to be here and uh, all of the accommodations and the missions dinner last night and all the ways that you have made us feel at home. We really feel like the campus church is kind of like our second home church to be very blunt and very honest with you. You know, and I was thinking about it about 18 years ago when we were in Uganda and we were there for 15 years. Um, when we got to Uganda, there was a rebel insurgency and I quickly realized that as we were there, uh, there was a rebel warlord named Joseph Kony. And Joseph Kony killed over 100,000 people. He abducted over 60,000 uh, child soldiers to recruit in his army. There was over, over 2 million people displaced. And so when we were in Sarodi, Uganda, uh, the, the, the place just swelled. And uh, we had hundreds of thousands of people moving in and it was only safe uh, at night. And so people would come in at night and we had tanks uh, put right outside of our gate. Uh, it was one of those unique circumstances. I remember uh, the minister of defense showed up at our house and he gave us an AK-47. And I quickly realized I am not in Pensacola anymore. And he handed it to me and I said, he goes, you know how to use this? And I said, not really. And uh, gave me a little instruction course. And we were there and I can just remember uh, the campus church uh, keeping in contact with us. And you'll never know what a privilege it is to represent the campus church on the foreign mission field. And as we were there, um, you know, I can just remember very uh, vividly uh, bombs dropping in the distance. We had, like I said, tanks in front of our house. And as we were there, uh, Dr. Molinex picked up the phone and called us. And I can remember one night, uh, it was just a time when they told, them, they told us just to stay up. They said, you need to keep out your windows, you need to look, and you need to be ready in case something happens. And we could see uh, things dropping in the distance. And Dr. Molinex had given us a call. And I can remember that the calming effect that his voice had in my spirit. And, you know, and yet, after all of that happened with the insurgency and things going on, uh, there was a great famine. Campus Church sent us an offering to help take uh, food to places. And, you know, we got to see two churches started in the next period of five years. You know what they remembered? You're the church that helped us get through a, a time of starvation. Uh, I was going through villages, and we were seeing people eating the leaves off of the trees, literally taking the leaves, boiling them in water, and eating them. And yet, because this church decided to give to missions in, 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 a, in a different way, because it was helping in that way to help with food, it allowed the gospel doors to be sprung open for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, many of you have been in prayer for my wife. I would like to just say thank you to my wife. Mandy, could you stand? I think you're over there. Could you stand real quick, Mandy? Or did you move? Oh, there she is. Okay. Mike, are you there? Uh, good, you can stand. Okay, that's my son. He's a sophomore. Uh, some of you don't know, he wouldn't be here probably without your prayers. Uh, there was a, a day we were out in the jungle and I was out doing discipleship lessons and uh, I saw some white sand. It looked to me like white Pensacola beach sand. How many like white Pensacola beach sand? And I said, all right, how much is it if I get that sand and put it in a dump truck? They said, oh, pasta, pasta. Now, just so you know, when I say pasta, they say pastor, but they say pasta. So it sounds like I'm spaghetti, sounds like I'm meatballs. I know some of you say you look like that, but they said, oh, pasta, we will, we will bring you the sand. And I said, it reminds me of, of where I grew up. And I kind of took this as growing up in Pensacola. And they brought it to my house and I put a big sandbox of this white sand. And so that was our little place of Pensacola Beach in Sarodi, Uganda. And it was just a small place. Well, 
Malachi, or Micah and Malachi and Michaela, my three children, were in that sandbox and playing. And I remember Micah was in about first grade. He came to us one day and he was fixing to go out to the sandbox and he said this. He goes, Dad, can we go out and play? And for some reason, this is why you pray for the protection of missionaries. Uh, we were there and I said, uh, Micah, I just don't feel good about you going out there and playing right now. And we had a security guard. We always had to have armed guards. And um, we were there and, and he said, oh, Dad, he said, I can't go out and play. I said, no. About that time, uh, his eyes kind of dropped, Michaela's eyes dropped, and they just were sitting there looking right outside the screen door, kind of looking at the sand like, I want to go play in the sand. I looked at him and I said, no, not today. Well, within about 45 seconds, our security guard started running through the yard. And he goes, pasta, pasta, cobra, big cobra. And I was like, I was a Kai Sig cobra, but I didn't think he was talking about Kai Sig at that moment. He was talking about a huge seven-foot ring-net spitting cobra that was in that sand pit. My children quickly looked, and of course they realized Dad had just escaped from impending danger. You know, he had rescued them basically, and they looked at me and they said, Dad, we would have gotten in that sandbox with that snake if you hadn't have told us not to. And of course, I took full advantage of, yes, this is why you always listen to your father. <laughs> everything, everything we tell you, God gives us a special connection for the rest of your life, listen. Well, at that time, I went inside, I checked my email. You know, we had 40 men from the campus church that prayed for us that day, sent us a letter. I read that letter to the kids. And I said, did you know they were praying for us at a men's prayer breakfast for your physical safety? And meanwhile, Mike and Mikhail's eyes were like this big, like, oh, campus church is the greatest, you know. <laughs> but you know, that's why you pray for missionaries. Now, that's a, a simple way, but those are things like that that happen every day of missionaries' lives. And because you are faithful to praying, uh, Micah is here today, okay? Uh, as we look in the passage tonight, today, Matthew chapter 9, I'd like to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. The Bible says in verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, what a, what a beautiful picture, if you can imagine, in Galilee. And you remember, this is right as he had already cast out the demon-possessed man, and he had already told Matthew to follow me, and he's going through this time in Galilee, and he is trying to get people to understand that the gospel is here. I am the Messiah, the Yeshua HaMashiach coming, and yet people, with all of the things that were going on, I would think if you were healed, you know, we had to come off the field because my wife contracted a rare African arbovirus called Ong-Yong-Ing-Yong fever. And she's been being treated at John Hopkins Hospital for the last five years. We came off the field, she was in a wheelchair. Now her health is improved immensely. She's almost back to 100%. And again, that's because of the prayers of God's people. But as we look at this passage, if you can imagine Jesus healing in all of these cities and people that had been sick for 30, 40, 50 years, all of a sudden coming to a place where they're completely healed. Wouldn't you think that would have caused such a commotion to where people would have believed and yet we go on and we read, what was he trying to do? Well, in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers 
into his harvest. I'm reminded of, reminded of the great words of C.T. Studd who said, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. I can honestly tell you as we've been here in America, I get phone calls sometimes in the middle of the night and Mandy, you can verify this. We'll get a phone call and say, Pasta, are you coming back? Pasta, there's so many more villages that don't have the gospel. And for years, we've had to look at them and say, well, we're praying that God will send forth more laborers. Can I ask you this morning, where do you think God is going to call these laborers from? If not from a group like this, but if we're not careful this morning, we can sit in a place like this and we can say, but I've got the gospel. You know, I've been saved. And yet if I asked you, how many of you were saved the very first time you heard the gospel? I would say it's probably less than 1%. Every group I've ever preached to, it's always just been the very first time you heard the gospel, you got saved. And yet there's three, four billion people that have never heard the gospel once. You say, that, that can't be fair. It's not fair. Whose responsibility is it? God could have called the rocks and the hills to cry out and give out the good news, but he didn't show, choose that. He chose you. He chose me. And it's incumbent upon us to take upon the responsibility to have this compassion that Christ had. I want you to see three things very quickly this morning. Christ's great compassion, his great concern, and his great command. Let me ask you this. What are you passionate about this morning? Do you have a compassion for souls. I was reminded my wife and I were at a Mexican food restaurant. And if you like Mexican food, say amen. All right, good. We were at a Mexican food restaurant and uh, there was a man there and I pulled out a track and I just said, hey, just wanted to, and I just gave him a quick plan of salvation just very quickly. Look, I'd like you to read this. And he just stopped in his tracks and uh, he said, excuse me. And he took the track again and he said, uh, can you wait just a second? And I, I'm like, yeah, I'm eating tortilla chips. <laughs> I can wait a second. He said, uh, uh, he said, I really need this. He said, did, did, how did you know? And I, I looked at him. I said, uh, Ronald, I, I didn't know. He said, uh, can I show you something? He pulled out his phone. He had just been in a horrific car accident, and he walked away. The car had flipped. He said, he said Jeremy, I don't understand how I survived. He said, but I think God had a purpose for me going through this. And can I, can I just take a moment and read this? He read the track. I set up a time three days later to go visit with him. And you know, he accepted Christ as a savior. Started coming to our church there in Herndon, Virginia. And I was reminded, how many times do we have the privilege of the printed word of God in our hands? And yet, how many times have I been sitting at a restaurant and perhaps not taking the time to give out the gospel and to not have the proper compassion? You see, if Jesus were walking among us this morning, he would have such a compassion for people that it would just be contagious. And you know, Tonight we can sing, or this morning we can sing songs about giving out the gospel. But I'm just reminding you this morning, we all have a responsibility to have a compassion for people. We see Jesus, the Bible says, went. His method was to go. It reminds me, today he is calling people to go forth and go. He's not going to call the rocks and the hills. He's going to use people. Notice what it says here. It says, all the cities and all the villages. You see, no, so many people had never heard the gospel. I can tell you about a man named Basilio who is 75 years of age and you have to realize when you're in Uganda you go out to these places and um, sometimes there's roads that are the width of my Bible and uh, you're, you're going out to these places and I remember going out to this one particular village and we were just giving the gospel and I did not realize it but many of these people had never seen a Bible. 
And I go out to this place, and this one gentleman named Basilio is 75 years old. He listens to the gospel, and he said, he goes, pasta. He said, this is wonderful news for me. He said, it's taken 75 years for me to hear this message. We sat there, we talked, he trusted Christ as his savior. We started doing discipleship lessons, 18 weeks of discipleship lessons. Went out there every, every uh, Saturday and went out there on Mondays. He started coming to our church and did you know he rode an hour and a half one way on his bicycle? His wife was 69, she came. He was a faster rider than her. Sometimes he would come to church, he would arrive 30 minutes ahead of her time sometimes. I said, you're supposed to come with your wife. And we would laugh and you know, Mr. Basilio is in heaven today partly because the campus church gave to worldwide evangelization. I think of Basilio, I think of Zipporah, and yet some of us this morning, we probably looked outside and we said, it's raining, I'm tired. I don't know if I want to get up and come to church. Can I just tell you this morning, it's a privilege that we have a place like this to come. And many times we just, we just think, well, I'm going to open the Bible again today. Can I remind you that Jesus said he went in all cities and all villages. There's still thousands and yea, millions of villages in this world today that are waiting for the first time you take the gospel of Jesus Christ there. You see, this book is precious today. And I don't know how many times you have thought about how precious this Bible is, but I can tell you this, I have a, a Bible here and I've brought a, a different Bible one time when I was here. I've, I've received five of these. And you might say, Brother Jeremy, you don't take care of your Bible very much. This is not my Bible. This is a constant reminder to me that some of us have grown up in Christian homes and we have just taken this book for granted because we just think, and I, I'm speaking from personal experience here, my mom was saved, my dad was saved, uh, my, my wife did not grow up in a Christian home and she came to Pensacola Christian College and grew immensely through the teaching and preaching of God's word. Well, this particular man came to our uh, home one day. Did you know he walked two days? No food, just a little bit of water. They had used this Bible in his village for over three decades. They had passed it along. And can you imagine if we all had to just share one Bible amongst all of us here this morning? Well, you can understand why it's a little bit worn. He came to me and he said, Pastor, I'm ashamed. He said, we should have taken better care of it. But if you can imagine three decades of having one Bible. We've got four other Bibles like this with different stories about how they looked at God's word as precious. There were times I would sit down and I would uh, preach and over there when they say, and there's 40 different dialects there, but if they wanted you to preach again, so I would preach, sometimes I would go out on a Saturday and Mondays I went to one village, Tuesdays I went to a different village, we'd go to different villages every day and so we got churches planted in each one of these villages. Well, I'm there one day and as I'm preaching, I preached about an hour. I'm not gonna preach an hour this morning. I preached an hour and they all looked at me and they said, Bobo! And you probably don't know what Bobo means. Bobo means again. And I said, okay. And I pulled out another message. Preached another hour. They all said, Bobo. Now, I don't expect any of you to say Bobo here, okay? But you know what? They were so hungry for the word of God, we could spend four, five, six hours a day in these villages just preaching. You know, today, this book is precious. Yet some of us probably didn't get up this morning and spend time in God's word. Can I just tell you this? David said, early will I seek thee. You're in a place here at a Christian college, but I'm telling you here, if you're not reading your Bible every day now, you're probably not gonna do it when you get out into the work field. Can I encourage you today that the word of God is precious? 
You think the status of world evangelism today, how many people even have a Bible? Living languages of the world, there's 7,099 living languages. Living languages with the whole Bible, 636. Can you imagine? Languages with only a New Testament, 1,442. Languages still needing the scripture today are 3,876. You know, Matthew 28, 19 tells us to go you therefore and teach all nations. Sometimes you might think that word nations is like, well, there's like 200 and something countries, nations. He's talking about the nations. No, no, no. That, that word ethnos there is the word for, we, we get our word ethnic from. Nations is the Greek word there, meaning ethnic groups or people groups. Let me just give you a quick definition. A people group is an assembly of people who have a common language, religion, culture, and ethnic background. Specifically as related to church planting, it is the largest group within which the gospel can be spread as a church planting movement without encountering cultural barriers of acceptance or understanding. So if we went by that definition of nations, 16,842 nations on the earth today. 9,853 are considered reached with access to the gospel and 6,989 are considered unreached. Can you imagine almost 7,000 nations this morning without any access to the Bible? I'll never forget a man coming to our house and knocking on the gate. And he said, are you the one with the radio station? And uh, we said, yes. And it's called Calvary Radio. And we have about six languages. We put different programs in, Oliver B. Green, lots of different programs. And this man came and he said, uh, I've got a group of eight men. We want, we want to know more about how to be, how do you say, discipled? And I said, you have come to the right place. You know, they would come in for five months straight. Now, if you go out to that village, there's a vibrant church going on in that place. You know why? Because the campus church gave to missions. Can I encourage you this morning to realize the status of world evangelism of 8 billion people, there are still 4,000 there are still 4,000 nations, if we went by ethnicities, that don't even know the name of Jesus. You see, we, we look in this passage and we see he saw, when he saw the multitudes. Can I ask you this morning, do you see the multitudes? Many of us can be moved over physical circumstances. And we can be moved when things, one of the things Joseph Kony did in Uganda was he was such a terrorist that he would come into places and he would remove people's ears. He would remove, at times, their noses and you would walk into these villages up north, right south of Sudan, and we could go in and we could see people scarred greatly. And you know what it was? It was a picture to everybody that Joseph Coney has been here. The LR rebels have been here and we're coming back. And you know, today, sin leaves a scar on every person in this room. We all have sins. We all have scars. And Jesus said, I'm here to take them away. I'm here that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When he saw the multitudes, it means to look upon, to consider. As I saw those people that were scarred, many times my heart went out to them, but sometimes you forget about their physical, their, their spiritual souls. I can think of a woman who was a Muslim woman who was outside of her home one night, and another Muslim came and was just very mean, took gasoline and poured it on this woman. Her name was Amina Pamela. Gasoline came down her body. They set her on fire. We heard the most horrific screams that night. We went outside. She was quickly taken to the hospital. She was burned over 60% of her body. You know, over the next three months, I got to take my New Testament to that hospital, and they would clean her burns. 
And after about three months, we, we kept giving her the gospel, kept giving her the gospel. And she finally looked at me and she said this. She said, she said Pasta, she said, I have been in physical fire for just 45 seconds. She said, the more I've been reading the New Testament, and realize the Muslims didn't read the New Testament, they only read the Old Testament. She said, I realize I don't ever want to spend any time in fire again. She said, and the more I've read, the more the Holy Spirit has convicted my heart. And she, it was funny, she picked up Bible terminology from reading the New Testament. She said, the Holy Spirit just keeps pricking me that one day you're going to experience eternal fire. She said, Pastor, I don't want that. You know, Amina Pamela trusted Christ. I had to have secret discipleship lessons with her because her Muslim friends were going to then try to kill her. You see, today we don't have any understanding of persecution, but one day it could come to this nation. It could come here to the very streets we are in. Yet, I looked at Amina Pamela and I said, wow, I had compassion for her because I saw the effects of fire on her outward body. Yet, how many times do we need to look and look at people's souls and realize one day they're going to experience the eternal fire? Notice why Jesus was moved with compassion. It's not the same reasons we were. Notice he, he was moved because they fainted, they were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. I see the crowd perhaps fainted for they were deceived by their leaders. Perhaps they were deceived by teachers or preachers or priests. They had great confidence in them, but their leaders misled and deceived them. Therefore, they followed and lived in error in a road that, that led to empty destiny. You see, religion perhaps has weighed you down. Let us be reminded that Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. You see, some people are fainting today all around the world because they've never had the chance to once hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was moved secondly because they were scattered. They wandered about. They stopped here and there. Perhaps they were, saw too restrictive a religion of Judaism or the philosophy of the Stoics or too loose religion of polytheism, or perhaps they were following, following the philosophy of the Epicureans. To no religion at all, perhaps, they were atheists. And they were sitting there, and they were scattered. And the more I've gone to different countries, I have, cannot imagine, Dr. Sisk has been to 80 countries. I am certain tonight, you don't want to miss tonight, as Dr. Sisk is here. He's my favorite missions preacher. Um, my grand, he's preached our missions conference, I think, 33 out of 34 years. And every time I hear Dr. Sisk, it's a great motivating cause for me to do more for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, many people in nations today, they're scattered, they have no shepherd, and they're looking for the answer. You know, Christ's major concern, we've seen his compassion. Do we have that compassion today? We look at his concern, is in verse 37. We see two things he was concerned about. The souls of men, women, and children. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but secondly, the laborers are few. You know, there's so much to be gathered in that I wish you could, I wish you could feel Mandy and I's heart now that we were in Uganda and the Lord brought us off because of her health and our hearts ached. Our hearts yearned to be back in Uganda. The doctors have told us we can't go back there because of uh, the issues with malaria and some of the other things that are going on there with, with her health issues. But I get calls in the middle of the night saying, Pasta, when are you coming back? Pasta, we started a new village here, we or a new church here. We started a new church there, and the ministries are going great. But we felt the privilege of taking the good news. Can I just tell you this morning, some of you, God 
greatly would want to use on the mission field. But I'm afraid many times we're just not open to that call. We're, we look at the great harvest and we say someone else will do it. And yet someday I believe their blood will be required at our hand. I was uh, driving in my truck one day and um, I was going through a, a place that was probably the width of, I don't know, the songbook. If you take your songbook, that was the road. And uh, I was going on this road and um, got to a place and I saw two two guys that were saying, uh, Pasta, can we get a ride? And they knew I was a pastor. So they got in the truck and we were driving out to one of these villages. And I'm sorry, we, I took them to church, took them to the church service. And it was a Wednesday night. So Wednesday night is a lesser crowd. There's probably 50 or 60 people in our congregation at that time on that Wednesday night. And uh, this is a village church and we're in this village church and they and I went ahead and gave the gospel and these two men trusted Christ. Their name was Andrew and Samson. And they got saved and they looked at me and they said, uh, uh, Pastor, do you have time? I, I know it's seven o'clock, but could you take me uh, back to my village? I want you to tell my mother this story about Jesus Christ. And I said, okay. And so got in the truck and started driving and, and I said, where do you live? And some of you missionary kids last night, you would get this illustration very well. I, I said, where do you live? They said, Ah, oh, pasta. And he smiled. He's like, ah, oh, pasta. We live just near. And I was like, just near? He goes, just near. I said, okay. Get in my truck. I'm driving. And you got to understand, the road's there. We're driving through literally cornfields. So corn stalks are like hitting the windshield. And uh, I'm going, man, I am not in Northern Virginia. I'm not in Pensacola. I'm driving. And, and I said, so how much further? And it's about driving about 15 minutes. He goes, ah, oh, pasta. It's just near. And I was like, what? I think I got set up. I keep driving. Corn stalks, corn stalks, you know, children flying over. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, we're, we're just going through there and I'm just terrified. I'm going to hit somebody. I'm going to hit something. You know, I, literally, I'm, I have to avoid cows in the middle of pastures. And I'm going through this place. And I get all the way. And I said, okay, Andrew, how much farther? He said, pasta, just near. I drove an hour and 15 minutes driving get all the way out. And he said, basta, we are here. I said, okay, get out there. All the way out in this village and there's these four huts. And I'm thinking, there's not even hardly a village out here. He said, basta, uh, could you tell my mother the story you told us about Jesus Christ coming to this earth and how that we're not good enough to go to heaven on our own and not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And he's almost telling me the story of what he had just heard. He said, can you tell my mother this story? And this older, very older woman came out. And I, was, I looked at her and you know, her skin was very wrinkled and she sat there and she came out and she listened. We sent, spent about 30, 45 minutes going through. I was trying to find out, does she have any kind of background in religion at all? Her face just lit up and she said, pastor, I've been waiting a long time to hear. And, and it was about creation. And we started at creation. And she said, I, I want to accept this Jesus as my savior. She bowed her head. She trusted Christ. So Andrew, Samson, and Florence are like super happy, right? Then Florence looks at me and it's late at night. She said, uh, Pastor, could you tell? And I'm thinking she's old, right? I'm thinking she's already like 130, Okay. She said, could you tell, and you have to understand, the average life expectancy in Uganda was 44 years of age when we went there. So I'm thinking, this lady, if she has a mother, this mother is long gone. She said, could you tell my mother this story? And I'm like, what? <laughs> sure enough, this, this, old, this, this, uh, <clears throat> this young woman came out 
And she was walking with the cane and, and she said, she sat down, you know, she trusted Christ as her savior. Do you know those people came to church for about seven years straight coming and, and they came every Sunday morning walking two and a half to three hours every Sunday morning. Sometimes they would be the ones that came in late when it rained like this. And sometimes you say, oh, what's rain gonna do? It's gonna mess up my hair. It doesn't mess up my hair, okay? It can mess up my wife's hair, but not my hair. You know, they would come with mud all the way up the bottom of their knee. And they say, Pastor, sorry we are late. You know, I looked at it and I said, where was my command? Jesus says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's for every one of us here. It reminded me, where's our command to stay here and not think of the mission field first? You see, we served in Uganda with seven PCC graduates that some were graphic design majors, some were nurses, some had all different kinds of, one was broadcasting and he helped us with our radio station. And do you understand, God can use your major on the mission field. We never would have seen many of these folks saved without some graphic design majors that helped us do website engineering. You understand, where's our command to stay here and not think of the mission field first? I realize we're not all called to be foreign missionaries, but I do believe we should all struggle with the possibility. Uh, one of my best friends is a Secret Service uh, agent and, uh, for President Biden, and uh, he is a PCC graduate. Uh, we have three uh, Secret Service or people that work at the White House right now uh, in 2022 that are PCC graduates. I can promise you I knew them as college students. If you knew them then, you would be like, they will never guard our president, okay? You'd think, that guy's crazy. Well, he has matured greatly. You don't know where God is going to use you in the mission field, even here in America. But can I tell you, you need to walk with the Lord every day. You need to be open to whatever God says. And those are some of the, the best missions givers in our church because they got a picture of going on a mission trip when they were in college here of the worldwide harvest. We see Christ's great command. We must all pray. We see his major concern. We see his compassion. We see Christ's great command. We must all pray. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. F.B. Meyer said this, one thing that pierces the master's heart with grief isn't the world's iniquity, but it's the church's indifference. Are we indifferent this morning? You know, we don't have to be. We can pray to the Lord this morning, say, God, renew my heart to make a difference in this area of giving, in this area of going. He says here to send forth laborers into his harvest. This literally, to send forth is the same word translated put forth in Matthew 9, 25, which involves force. Sometimes God literally has to push or force a man in the ministry who resists his known duty. Perhaps you're here today and I was just having uh, lunch with a man, I'm sorry, breakfast at Bob Evans. How many of you know what a Bob Evans is? I was having breakfast with him and he looked at me and he said, uh, Jeremy, I have one regret in my life. And I said, what is that? And he said, you can use this anywhere you go. This man is uh, uh, very affluent, uh, millions of dollars. He said, I was 18 years old. I was in a college. He said, and God burdened my heart to go, and it wasn't to the mission field, but it was to preach. And he said, now this man is well in his 60s. He said, every day I wake up, I know I had a good job. I know I provided for my family. He says, but there's a part of me that's so empty. He said, I wonder what God could have used me to do on a mission field, Jeremy. What he could have used me for in an area of preaching. He said, I know God wanted me to do that, 
And I said, no. He said, it's the greatest regret of my life. You might be here this morning and you might be struggling in that area. Can I encourage you to give your heart to the Lord? You'll never regret giving your all to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded, praying John Hyde of India, prayed through the night many times, give me souls lest I die. He prayed that he could lead one soul a day to Christ. Then he upped it to two souls, three souls. They said before his death, he was praying for four souls a day and he was seeing them come to conversion. I'm reminded of Romans 10, 14. How are people gonna hear the gospel? This is my life verse. I believe Dr. Sis preached on this when I was a teenager and touched my heart. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I have one last thought before we're done this morning. Uh, you know, many of the people we've seen saved now have reached their life expectancy and have gone on to heaven. And one of the great privileges that I think we're going to have when we get to heaven is reminiscing with people who've gone before us and that we've seen saved. But there's one man in particular. I got to preach uh, in 2004. Uh, we were preaching on the side of a mountainside. And there was about 4,000 soldiers. And we realized that there was a UPDF army and then there was something called the Aero Group. And we realized that they didn't all have ID cards. So my friend, who was a graphic design major from here, he said, hey, we can make them ID cards. And I said, okay. And so we went out and basically made ID cards for these soldiers to get paid appropriately. Well, we're making these cards. And then one day we says, hey, will you guys sit down on this mountainside? We'd like to tell you about what we're here to do. We're not here to make ID cards. We're here to tell people about the good news of Christ. And so we had these I guess 4,000 soldiers sitting on the side of a mountainside. We began to give the gospel and preach and gave a little bit of an invitation, invited them to our church. And there was one man in particular, a big tall man, about six foot three, six foot four. And you could tell he had been through war. He had had scars. Uh, you knew he knew how to handle himself, if you know what I'm saying. He came to me in this, in this very intimidating gate. And I was kind of wondering like, oh, what did I say? You know, did I say the right thing? And he came to me and, he said, uh, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is not good. We sat down and uh, he looked at me and he said, if what you're telling me is true, he said, I want to know, what happened to all of my relatives before you missionaries came to tell us the gospel? And Colonel Ezra Kiambo was there and he said, I want to know. He said, you've come. And he goes, I actually, I think I'm believing this in my heart that this is the way to get to heaven. He said, I've tried many other things. I can't get peace in my heart. Now, he came to my house over a period of the next three weeks and got saved that third week. His whole life began to change. He was a drinker. He was a carouser. He, he had a very bad reputation. And yet people started noting, noticing Colonel Kiambo. And, and I've given some similar illustrations about some colonels we've seen saved in the past. This man in particular came and his whole life changed. He started coming to our house on Friday nights and he would come in and he would bring his whole, um, it wasn't a battalion, but it was, you know, 20, 30 people with him and they would sit outside our house. At that time, the insurgency was still going on and he would come into the house and he would say, I'm here for my lesson. And so we would do a Bible lesson. We kept going, we kept going and his whole life changed. People started saying, ah, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do this. God has changed his life. Colonel Kiambo asked me that question again one night. He said, Pastor, he said, why don't Americans send more missionaries? He said, I've been here. 
my whole life and this is the first time I've heard the truth. He said, when you go back to America, and so I've just committed to do this. He says, you need to tell people to bring more missionaries to Uganda. And by God's grace, there's been many missionaries come, but there's not nearly enough. Can I tell you that story could be repeated a multiplicity of times for places all over the world. And you know today, the fact of the matter is this, there are people waiting for the first time for you to give them the gospel. Colonel Ezra Criambo was driving a large military vehicle one day. Uh, I'm sorry, his, his um, escort was driving. A vehicle came out, hit him head on, and Colonel Kiambo went into eternity. But you know, I still have letters. I still have things from him. And I am thankful that one day we will see him in heaven. Can I ask you today? He said, he finally told me one of the last things he told me. He said, Pastor, I waited my whole life for the moment you told me about Christ. Can I encourage you this morning? People are waiting their whole life, perhaps, for one of you to be willing to go and tell the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world.